Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. There are so many ways to help dance the world in a better direction and to make a difference in people's lives, and surely music is one of the most enjoyable ways to get to better off. Today's Spirit in Action guest, Jim Page, has been making world-changing music for more than four decades, supporting the people's voice, resisting the corporate domination of our lives, and raising up all sorts of peace and justice causes. The vast share of that time, Jim's been operating out of Seattle, Washington, and that's where we'll go right now to speak with singer, songwriter, and rabble-rouser Jim Page. Jim, welcome back, this time for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you, Mark. It's good to talk to you again. Well, I have you here today for Spirit in Action because when I did the Song of the Soul interview with you, I became aware of how much your work for the world is essential to your music. I mean, I think there are people who do what might be called folk music who are just doing love songs. It's certainly possible. But I have a feeling that there's almost always some desire to change, to correct, to improve the world that's part of your music. So is that what got you into music? Which came first, the cause or the music? The music came first for me. The Music saved my life, basically, when I was a teenager, hearing Lightning Hopkins for the first time, a great Texas blues singer, actually. And I don't do the blues, oddly enough, but that his singing, the immediacy and the transparency of his singing, and I'd say transparent in the sense that he was able to emerge out of himself through the radio into my life and reveal himself, you know, and where he was and everything else like that was so impactful for me. It's like, that's what I had to do. I had to play the guitar and sing songs. It, but the only thing that made sense to me was to do that. And I started doing it, and I started doing it with with folk songs. There was a cafe nearby, a little coffee house that people went to, and I'd go there and I'd hear songs, and I was just completely transfixed. It was 1965, 66, you know, and the Vietnam War was gearing up. People were going off and not coming home. And you could go to a coffee house, and you could hear songs about how it's okay to have trouble. It's okay to be in trouble. We are all in trouble. You'd hear that in the songs. It was reassuring and empathetic, and it was beautiful. And there were ideas there, thoughts and ideas. I remember a song, a Mark Spolstra song called A Hand to Hold. Mark, he'd worked with kids. You know, I I never met the guy, but, you know, this was a song that everybody, I used to do it. He'd worked with troubled kids, you know, and this one kid who was five years old got hit by a car. And he sang this song about it. And it was like, it was a tearjerker. And it made you open these parts of you that were never opened on the radio. Those places were never touched on the radio. So I went there and I learned songs. And some of the songs are old and some of them are new. And there was Joan Baez stuff and there was Bob Dylan stuff and Buffy St. Marie. And when you learn folk songs as opposed to pop songs, your geography increases. It broadens the musical geography, not just format style or instrumental style, but the, the concept geography widens and before you know it you're doing a song about a mining disaster and you sing about the miners and the dark is a dungeon way down in the mine and you think about miners when you do that and then you sing and then because i listen to the blues also r&b i'm listening to jimmy reed and i'm learning you know about those songs i'm listening to big boss man 
Don't you hear me when I call? You ain't so big. You're just tall. That's all. And I thought, whoa, that's an interesting con. You know, I'm listening to Lead Belly. I'm listening to Woody Guthrie. I'm listening to Buffy St. Marie doing Now That the Buffalo's Gone. You know, and that's telling me something. And I'm getting history lessons, attitude lessons from the songs that I'm singing. That's where I started. That's where I started to get my worldview from. And it meant a lot to me because the war was going. I graduated in 67, and the class gift that my class gave to the school when we graduated was a tombstone. You know, it was a very serious deal. It was a big deal. It wasn't a joke or anything. It was a big deal. It's still there. It's Cupertino High School. There's a tombstone, and it had names on it, names of kids that had gone to our school and had gone out to Vietnam and were killed. And I knew three of them, you know, and that was like graduation night. I went out there, and I looked at this thing, and I'm just standing there staring at it. You know, and that's when I decided I'm not going there. And I was in California, so I had enough access to information, to politics, to anti-war thoughts. You know, and I'm playing in coffee houses already. Before I got out of school, I was already doing some coffee house stuff. But once I graduated, I really went into it. And a lot of the coffee houses I played in were in church basements or church side rooms or whatever. And they were usually Methodist, but it was a variety of things. And they were almost all of them connected with the Underground Railroad, getting GIs, getting draft resistors to safety. But even if they weren't directly related, absolutely every one of them had a political bent, every single one of them. You know, and everybody that played in those coffee houses was expected to do, you were all expect, nobody ever said it, but it was an expectation that you would do songs related to the situation that we were in. That's what made the coffee houses important, viable, and real. You sang about civil rights. You sang about the war. You sang about interpersonal relationships on a real basis. You know, not, Johnny, I want to hold your hand, but on a real basis. Struggling with your demons, that sort of thing. There were people that showed up that didn't do anything like that. And they, nobody ever said anything again, but they were just kind of over there. You didn't, you know, it's like, what's wrong with you? I mean, you've got to sing about what's going on because that's what these places are for. So that's where I started. That's how I started. I've never forgotten that songs, a singer, and a body of work, and a repertoire is a whole thing. It's a spherical whole thing. It's got everything in it. You sing those love songs. You sing those nonsense songs. You sing the songs about traveling. You sing the songs about getting drunk or getting stoned. And you sing the songs about the war, about being opposed to the war, about fighting the war. You sing the songs about all that stuff. What I'm getting to is that I left home. I hit the road because I was, you know, dealing with the draft and all kinds of weird stuff like that. I hit the road, go to New York City, and then I come back out to the West Coast and wind up in Seattle. And the last coffee house closed, you know, a month or two after I got to town. It was called the DMZ, and it closed, which meant that there was no place for a folk singer to play. There was a bluegrass bar downtown, but there was no place for a folk singer to play a guy with acoustic guitar. I was faced with either despair or opportunity, and I chose opportunity, because here I was, I was 21 years old, man, let's have some fun with it, so I started playing everywhere, I figured if there was no venue, it was all a venue, all of it, the whole town, so I started playing everywhere, and I started going out to the campus, University of Washington campus, and playing out there, I had to write new kinds of songs that were loud enough that would catch people's attention, and I found that what caught people's attention was if you sang about what was going on in their lives, Once you sing about what's going on in their lives, you invite them to talk to you. This is an important part. 
I'm singing about them so they come up and talk to me. That's how your education improves. If you sing about war resistors, war resistors come to talk to you. If you sing about black civil rights, black civil rights activists from the Black Student Union come and talk to you. And that was how my political education really got going because that's when I got invited to places. And I used to sing all over town in all kinds of different places, the, the campus, the streets, and the, the market, and stuff like that. And one day, I was, this is 74, was Watergate. I was threatened with arrest for singing on the street downtown because I didn't have a permit. The guy asked me if I had a permit, and I said, no. And he said, next time I come by, I'm going to arrest you. I said, I'll go get one. He said, you can't because you're not blind and drove off. And I thought, hmm, what is this? I packed up and I ran down to the city hall and I just started talking to whoever was available, trying to find out. But it was illegal to sing on the street without a permit. And the only permit available was for so-called blind and disabled people. So there you have it, Catch-22. And there I am. This is like not only 50% of my income at the time, but it was also a great practice ground, a great public speaking venue. It was it was public speaking. It was talk. So I decided to make a project out of it. I went into the city hall. I went into the mayor's office. <laughs> well, you know, why not start big? Start at the top. So I went into the mayor's office said, look, I want to do this thing. we got to change this. And I said, don't start here. Go talk to Randy Ravel. He was the head of the public safety committee in the city council. He's a great man, great man. I went down and I talked to him. He liked the idea. We're going to change this. So we talked, and he got me. In the meantime, he got me a special permit that I could play in some of the parks. It was silly. There were places I would never play. I just wouldn't. But he was helping me, so I did that. It's like, you know, it's like it was the right thing to do, so I did. I said, thank you very much, and I went, and I played in the zoo while he did his work, and I got the support of a writer at the Seattle PI, a guy named Rick Anderson. I got the support of a writer at the University of Washington, Daily, Dean Patton, and I got the support of somebody on the radio. I did some stuff on the TV, and then we had a city council hearing set, and I made up posters, and I put them all over town. You know, Jim Page, live at city council chambers, 2.30 on a Wednesday. I put them all over town. The place was packed, all these weird-looking people with hair all over the place and ribbons tied on their shirts and stuff, you know, and everybody came out in support of changing the law to make street singing legal, except for the Musicians' Union. The guy from the Musicians' Union was opposed to it on the grounds that it would take money out of the pockets of symphony musicians. To this day, I don't understand how that was going to be, happen, but everybody kind of ignored him, and we went ahead, and it was a unanimous city council vote to overturn the old law so it became legal. I wrote a song for it, you know, for my testimony, a song called Now's the Time for Talking. It's not a very good song. I may have sung it three or four times more. It really isn't very good. But it was written because it was Watergate. It was 1974. And my point was, and my point still is, that street singing, you know, that's what I do. What he was, I, do I, I do singing. I'm not a juggler or something. The whole town's open here in Seattle for anything you want to do as far as busking goes, as long as you use your sense and don't be rude. But singing outdoors you're the town crier. You are the town crier, the person who goes out there and sings what the weather is going to be like or what they're doing in the court or, you know, what's happening in Olympia, Washington, D.C., what the president is up to. That, you know, warning, warning, that's the town crier. 
That's what you do when you're a street singer. And that's very important. Watergate happened because people were keeping secrets and it was corruption. So we need more talking, not less. So that's what that was all about. And time goes by and you solidify your songs, you hone them down. I do anyway. I think most people do. And that whole idea became to me, put it this way, I was sitting watching the TV one day and the news came on and somebody I was sitting with kind of rubbed their hands together and said, oh boy, here we go. Whose world is this? And I thought, well, that's a great question. That's the whole thing in a nutshell, isn't it? Whose world is this? Whose streets? Our streets? You know, whose town is this? Whose right to speak? Whose right to own their own labor? All these things come into that question. Whose world is this? So I wrote this song. And here it is by Jim Page, website jimpage.net. Whose world is this? Relative humanities Everywhere I look I see Someone looking back at me Nation states and borderlines Divided states of mind Politics comes to blows And everybody wants to know Whose world is this? Whose world is this? Whose world is this? First world riding high Second world standing by Third world under fire Funny how we all conspire We don't know cause we can't see How such a way could come to be Riding on a spinning wheel Soon enough will be revealed Whose world is this? Whose world is this? Whose world is this? What kind of world would our children be seen? After all is said and done What kind of creed have we come to believe? That they may never receive one Seven seas, 
relative humanities. Everywhere I look, I see someone looking back at me. Page is here today with us for Spirit in Action. He's been changing the world with his music, with his songs, with his words. One of such songs is, Whose World Is This? Asking the big questions. I suppose it's important, Jim, to ask the questions and not provide the answers all the time. That What you have to do is get people engaged in thinking about whose world is this? Is it, is it mine? Is it my brother's? Is it my neighbor's? Is it only belonging to the guy in Washington or whatever? For you, if someone asked you that question, whose world is this, could you give me some answers? <laughs> you had a lot of years to develop that. Oh, man, how would you even start there? It has to do with ownership, ownership of space, ownership to the right to exist. You know, there are ways of organizing society where only some people have that right. And the names for that kind of society change all the time. The people change all the time. The faces change. But fundamentally, I think that's it. Who has the right to exist? And you could decide. I mean, you won't. I mean, it's too late for you. I'm sorry, Mark. It's too late for you. But you could conceivably decide to go over in that camp with those people that only some get to own the world. You could do that. I mean, you won't, but you could. In which case, Mark has become one of them, you know, them in quotes, you know, and we're going to struggle against that. But actually, you're over here. You're over here with the rest of us who think that the world needs to be open to its people, its animals. It's for everybody. It's even for the people who think they own it just for themselves. But for them to come to us, they have to let go. They have to publicly admit some things. They have to learn some things. They have to stop talking all the time, start listening. That's about as close as I can get because the definitions change all the time. And one of the ways that they, in quotes, get away with it is by changing the definitions all the time so that they're always running. They're like mercury. They're always moving away when you try to get a hold of it. So it's an ongoing struggle, but you know what I'm talking about. Most of your listeners know what I'm talking about, and we just we just keep going. And that follows right on the point that one of the ways that you've engaged and made the world better is to help provide a speaking space, help to provide a place where the message can get out. I think net neutrality right now is one of those issues. It's a question of, do some people get to control what you view, see, and limit it, or is it more widely available to, are all voices welcome? I think it's a similar issue. You are doing it on the local level there. Jim Page happens to live in Seattle, Washington, and therefore that's where you are changing it locally. You know, you're serving a global need, but you're doing it locally. 
And so that's one of the songs that asked the kind of questions that you made sure there was space for on the Seattle grounds. So what else? I mean, you, you said you came of age right at the time of the Vietnam War. Has war been a big question for you? I mean, were you a draft dodger? or were you, I mean, I don't know if I, I don't want to get you in trouble on the radio here. No, it's too late. I've gone past it. There's a statute of limitations. There's an expiration date on some of these things. So it's okay. I was against the war. I absolutely was. I mean, I had three dead friends by the time I graduated. You know, that's not going to endear you to the concept. And, and also, I lived in California, like I say, Bay Area. So I had access to a lot of information. And I was playing in all those coffee houses and, and places where people were singing these songs and talking about it. I remember a guy... Uh, we became friends, great big likable guys, a couple of years older than me, you know, I sang songs, had a big husky voice and stuff, and a great guitar player, and he used to do this Hoyt Axton song called, I think it's called Hey Mama Ain't You Proud, I could be wrong, but the chorus is, red, white, and blue was his shroud, hey mama, ain't you proud, you know, and you do that, you hear that song. You hear Country Joe and the Fish doing, you know, singing about, you know, be the first one on your block to have your boy come home in a box. You hear those things, and you just want to back away. And then you hear people talk about the reason for U.S. involvement. And, what, and you start hearing words like imperialism. And what is democracy? Is democracy related to imperialism? Can they exist in the same political sphere? Can you have imperialism and democracy at the same time? Those are big questions and big ideas that you have to ask yourself, and they rattle around in your head, and you can't get rid of them. So you become not only opposed to the war that's facing you, but you become to, hmm, can you be opposed to all wars? That's a question, because that involves wars of defense and anti-colonial struggles. Are you opposed to the American Indian people defending themselves against the cavalry? No, you can't be opposed to that. So you become opposed to wars of aggression, you become opposed to imperialism, you become opposed to colonialism, you become in favor of anti-colonialism, of liberation, of justice, of democracy, and you want nonviolence, as much nonviolence as possible. You can't, I can't embrace total nonviolence at all times, <laughs> yeah, you, because then... I, that was a good catch on your part, because since you are speaking with a Quaker, and since I'm actually tuned in that direction... <laughs> I know that, but then you are avoiding the responsibility for defending your community when the only option open to you is that response. You have to be, I do, have to be aware of that. Even Gandhi was aware of that. Martin Luther King was aware of that. These people were all aware of that. What Martin Luther King did was spectacular and had to be done the way that it was done, but was only possible because of other formations like the Deacons for Defense. They knew each other. Those people knew each other. King, what he did was extraordinary. What everybody did down there was extraordinary. But we have to make sure that we understand and give equal justification and acceptance to all necessary parts of the struggle. When the Klan moves in, what are you going to do? When the Nazis come in and take your children off to the camps, what are you going to do? Those are really extreme things. Nobody wants to go there. I don't want to go there. I'm sad. I didn't want to get off into this part of the conversation. What I wanted to talk about was the oppositional and the constructive stance that I took in the 60s that I learned was for justice and for anti-colonialism. That's what I learned. There was the Black Panthers were going on in Oakland. The free speech movement was in Berkeley. 
the LSD was in San Francisco. All this stuff, you freed your head, you freed your mind, you freed your thoughts. There was a sexual revolution, all these things. And it was to be as peaceful as possible because you were opposed to the violence of oppression. So that's what you took. That's what I took. And then I hit the road and I came back to Seattle. You know when things are rolling along, doing what they do? And one day, I've been hanging around with a bunch of earth firsters in Northern California, right? These are very interesting people that had come to the conclusion that the only way to stop killing the uh, ecosphere was to put their bodies in between the chainsaws, bulldozers, whatever, and the trees, physically. And they would do this, nonviolently, physically. They would do this. They would bury themselves in the roads up to their necks, buried in the road of logging, where the logging trucks come in in the morning. Can you imagine that? So that in the morning, when the logging trucks show up, there they are just with their heads. You could be killed. You know, they had that much commitment and that much. I knew these people. I'd watched them do what they did. And then I hear that the World Trade Organization is coming to Seattle. But the interesting part was people from all over the country, all over the world, were going to come and they were going to oppose it and they were going to shut it down. That's what they said. And many of these people that said that were my friends or I knew of them. I still was cynical. I didn't believe it. I, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders and I said, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be 40 people out on the street with some signs. They're going to get arrested. There's going to be some trials. We're going to do some benefits. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. That's what I thought, right? And it was going to be the opposite. I should have known better. I really should have. There were somewhere between 50 and 70,000 people came to Seattle and, won, and, and organized themselves from different methodologies, let's say. You know, from organized labor to anarchists to everything, Buddhists doing their, everything was down there. And they successfully, I was there, I was there. I live here, so I, you know, I was there. I watched it. They completely successfully shut it down. But again, we have to remember, it wasn't just them. It wasn't just us on the outside. It was also the delegates on the inside. Medea Benjamin got inside. She actually, she'd been doing this for years. She got inside and disrupted the meetings inside in the Paramount Northwest. But in spite of Medea, besides her, the delegates from Africa, from India, different, different parts of the world, were finding the meetings undemocratic. Their voices were squashed. They weren't heard, and they were walking out. So yeah, there was internal dissent. There was external dissent. Madeleine Albright, Secretary of State, was up in the big hotel there. She was afraid to get out of her hotel room. She was afraid because there were people with dreadlocks locked down in the intersections. The same stuff that I saw them do in Humboldt County, they were doing in the streets in Seattle, locked down with their arms in PVC pipe, facing police officers with huge rifles and stun grenades and concussion grenades and just like gallons of pepper spray that they would saturate people with. I mean, it was incredible, the saturation, the smoke, the gas going everywhere, but it was completely successful. And it was completely extraordinary. And Bill Clinton came in on the Wednesday. It started on Tuesday. Clinton came in on the Wednesday. So Tuesday night, they brought the hammer down and they sterilized everything. Everybody was gassed. Everybody was removed all over downtown so that when Clinton came, there would be no dissent. It was declared a no-protest zone. Anybody with a button or a sign or an attitude was arrested and hauled off on the Wednesday and Clinton came in and did his thing, and then they did more sanitizing and got rid of people, and then it was all over. But it made international news as an official shutdown. And then the WTO went on to, whenever it had its meetings, it had to do with um, on secluded islands or mountaintops or in the middle of in mine shafts or something where people couldn't get to it. It created this paradigm. 
Well, I went there every day. I got no sleep those four days, practically none. I did several gigs down there where I had to like run through alleyways and stuff to get from one to the other because the cops were all over the place. I thought about it, and I thought, i got to write something, but i got to make sure so that it would encourage people, so that it would tell the greatness, the heroics of it. We need to stand up and be proud of the fact that we stood up. I wrote it kind of like a rap. It's got a groove to it in the language. It just goes, right? And each verse winds up with saying, didn't we? Didn't we? We did that, didn't we? So that's the chorus, didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we? And they won. Now, it's only a battle. It's only a battle, but then, you know, life is a long one. Life is a really long one. But anyway, I wrote that song about it, and here it is. (laughs) Didn't We by Jim Page. And the CEOs and the bottom line is the profit grows The money talks, you don't talk back They don't like it when you act like that But didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99 It was a Tuesday morning when we drew the line It was a WT Coming to town and we swore we gonna shut it down And they stood there with their big police They had the National Guard out to keep the peace With the guns and the clubs and the chemical gas But still we would not let them pass And they raged and roared and their tempers flared And there were bombs bursting in the daylight air And they'd run us off and do us in But we came right back Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99 Millennium passing as the numbers climb And the people came from everywhere There must have been 50,000 out there There were farmers, unions, rank and file Every grassroots has its own style There were great big puppets two stories tall There were drummers drumming in the shopping malls There were so many people that you couldn't see How that many people got into the city And the WTO delegates too But we were locked down So they couldn't get through yet, didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99, locked down at the police line And they're hitting you with everything they got But you ain't moving like it or not And they're tying your wrists with plastic cuffs And they're loading you up on a great big bus And they're taking you down to the Navy base Pepper spraying you right in the face Try to break it down, try to get you to kneel But you got the unity and this is for real And they can't break a spirit that's coming alive That's the kind of spirit that's bound to survive Yeah, didn't we? Shut it down, 
Now the media loves all the glitter and flash You know the newspapers talking out a whole lot of trash About the violence of the people in black And how the cops are so tired they just had to attack And the secrets hidden in that deep dark hole Of what they call City Hall may never be told The mayor's out doing the spin The police chief quits so you can't ask him Well they can swear to God and all human law But I was there and I know what I saw The visible stains are washed away in the rains But this old town will never be the same Cause didn't we Shut it down, didn't we Now it's the greatest story ever told David and Goliath, how you be so bold Standing up to the giant when the going gets hot And all you got is a slingshot Well, they tell me that the world turned upside down You gotta pick it up and shake it, gotta turn it around You gotta take it apart to rearrange it I don't wanna save the world, I wanna change it And don't let them tell you that it can't be done Cause they're gonna be the first ones to run Just take a little lesson from Seattle town WTO and how we shut it down Yeah, didn't we? Shut it down, didn't we? November 30th, 99 Jim Page is here today for Spirit in Action. He's been actively engaging with trying to change the world, make it a better place for all of us. Justice is a key word for Jim Page. His website is jimpage.net, N-E-T, jimpage.net. And he's our guest for Spirit in Action, which is Northern Spirit Radio production on the web, northernspiritradio.org with 12 and a half years of our programs free listening and download there's links to our guests you can track Jim down via our page and all these other people we've had for these 12 plus years there's a place to post comments we like two-way communications as a matter of fact I would say it's essential please post a comment when you visit there's also a donate button that's essential to keep us working too this full-time work Please donate when you come. Even more important, though, support your local media. We were talking earlier in the program about net neutrality. That's another way. It's essential to keep the voices open, to keep the people's voice in the public scene. And so your community radio station is absolutely essential in that. They give you music and news that get through all the other filters. So please start by supporting them first. 
The song we just heard was Didn't We, about the WTO in Seattle, and Jim Page was there. He got to be a part of it, and he also got to claim a victory in one of the battles, and that's not so obvious sometimes. And There's a lot of uphill work that we do for any peace and justice cause. Isn't it nice to be part of one of the winning ones for once, you know, to <laughs> unequivocally say, yeah, no, point our side. It certainly is. I think you can do that a lot more than you give yourself credit for, though. I think we went more than we think we did. I've actually forgotten, Jim, how many CDs you have out there. There's a lot. You've been doing this for so many years. So, you know, like, didn't we? We we heard it's from, it's from a CD called Music from the Big Red, and the first song that we heard was from Whose World Is This, which was, I think, back in 1995 you made that one. So we're coming a little more current, didn't we, is from 2002. So you recorded it just a few years after the WTO protests. And folks, by the way, if you go to jimpage.net, one of his menu options is stories, and there's four stories on there, all of them really interesting, different facets of the kind of work. And as you can tell, Jim Page is a storyteller. So share some more. Oh, well, okay. After the WTO, I went to... Vermont, for, um, there was this thing called the Free Trade of the Americas Agreement, right? It was going to be in Quebec City. And they had invented, they, they in quotes, had invented this new term called the uh, Seattle Syndrome. And it was the idea was modeled on the Vietnam Syndrome, right? We lost the war because we didn't have the will. And the Seattle Syndrome says we lost the WTO thing because we got weak, and they're dangerous, they're thugs, and they came in and took over. So they were not going to allow demonstrators to ruin the, the meetings up in, in Quebec. The Free Trade of the Americas was a smaller version of the WTO. It was more regional. So I spent most of my time in Vermont in a little town called Derby Line, which is up toward the border with Canada, because I had a friend who was very sick, and her name was Marcia Burnett, and she was, she was organizing. She had organized a little IMC, Independent Media Center, up there. Again, activists were actually able to, I don't know, they, they, they didn't shut it down, but what they did was, but the reason the song was written was because the authorities had built a big fence around the convention center up there that was supposed to be impervious. You couldn't get through it. You couldn't knock it over. You could drive a car into it, and nothing would happen. So, okay, fine. So this anarchist kid, you know, he's a vegan. He's all dressed in black. He's one of those. Climbed up on top of the fence. And he had friends on the ground that had ropes on the fence, and they, were, they wobbled it back and forth, and it fell over. And it was the darndest thing, because all these people, all these cops and everything are looking at it like, that's not supposed to happen. You're supposed to drive a car into it, and it won't fall over. And these 90-pound vegans get on top of this thing and just pull it down. How is that? It was a great inspiration for me. I thought to myself, because you can do this. You don't have to live the historical arc that they give you they being the ones in quotes, right? You don't have to live that. You can live another one. So for me, I took the closing icon for the 20th century, for me, was a WTO. And the opening icon, again, for me, was what happened up there in Quebec City, where the fence came down. Both of those are victories. So I wrote the song called Over My Dead Body, because that's a, it doesn't mean anybody's got to die. It means that the, that's a statement of will. It's a statement of purpose, of will, of intent. And it goes like this.
We are born of nature, and in nature we will die. Oh, and if we don't make it, it's not because we didn't try. No, it's not because we didn't try. They say they will incorporate the world. Over my dead body, over my dead body, over my dead body, over my. They have all the money. We have the will, and I would rather be a match than a paper dollar bill. Yes, I would. Yes, I would. They have the guns. All we are is flesh and blood, but we will multiply our numbers. Drown them in our flood, yes we will, yes we will. They say they will incorporate the world. Over my dead body, over my dead body, over my dead body, over my That's what they say, but we will turn those tables, take their power away. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. We will not be dissuaded, and we will not turn around. We will face the barricades. We will tear them down. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. They say they will incorporate the world. Over my dead body, over my dead body, over my dead body, over my. Jim Page is a rabble-rouser par excellence. That's why we have him here today for Spirit in Action. That song, Over My Dead Body, from his album Ghost Bikes. You know, part of the resistance to this incorporation of the world, I mean, one of the phrases in there is, you know, they say that they're going to incorporate the world. I actually find myself of two, at least two minds about this. Because one of the things I think is real important is that the more connections we have with other countries, that makes it less and less likely that we're going to fight with them because they're our allies, they're our trading partners. And so things that have brought down barriers between nations has always been desirable to me. Of course, the the problematic part, which you're addressing very cogently necessarily about WTO and other such efforts, is put all that power in a few hands 
let a few people control the world and let it be their fiefdom, which is so strongly how the world has continued to go ever since at least the early 80s, maybe even the 1970s. It's been trending in that direction, the concentration of wealth and power. And it just gets worse and worse. And so part of my sense is we do need to band together really strongly, but we can't hand that power to anyone. We have to show up. And that's what you do, of course. There's also there's systems. We're talking systems. Capitalism is a system that is based on private accumulation. I mean, there's no way to get around that. That's what it's based on. That's how it works. That's just a dead end. That's not going to help anybody. When I use the word in that song, incorporate, it's a certain kind of incorporation, and it kind of goes without saying. I mean, you hear the song, you know what kind of corporation we're talking about. We're not talking about a unity of peoples. We're talking about a unity. It's not even a unity because they don't, they don't have unity. They have, you know, a brotherhood of thieves sort of. They, they kind of bandits or something where they make money off of each other, but they don't like each other. It's just, you know, I can't like you if I'm looking out for number one. That's, that's a capitalist thing. I'm looking out for number one. You know, my private accumulation, I might work together with you, Mark, that's got the radio station up in the Midwest there, and maybe I can work with him for a while as long as it's within my best interest. But I don't like you. You don't like me. We just kind of feed off of each other. And that has to change. So when I say incorporate, that's the old stuff I'm talking about. Because I agree with you. We need the whole world. I, I would not be opposed to one world government if it was the right kind of government. These are things that need a way out in the future. And it's not for me to decide, it's for the people of the world to decide. I'm opposed to private accumulation. I'm opposed to no limits on wealth. I'm opposed to empires, you know, lots of stuff like that. It hasn't always been like this. So it doesn't have to always continue to be like this. If you give in to it and think this is forever, you're lost. But how can it be forever if it wasn't always here? And it wasn't. History tells us that. So I wrote this song called The Great Stone Wall, and it, it's, I like it a lot. It's one of my favorite songs I've written. I like it a lot because there's this ominous serenity to it. And the serenity gives you a, a window, and the window comes up at every verse where it says, behind the silence of the great stone wall, it will change, it will change. It wasn't always like this. And the great stone wall is your inability. It's your inertia the culturally imposed inertia that you have to get through is that great stone wall. Beyond that, beyond that, it will change, getting past that wall. But it's got this mood to it. It's serene, it is, but it's also, it's kind of dangerous. It's a dangerous serenity. And then on the other side is this doorway, and through the doorway is change. And the weird thing is it, I wrote it the day before September 11th. Wow. Yeah, and there's a line in there about how reality shoots from behind a blade of grass and its aim is true which i always like behind a blade of grass not a tree not a mountain not a barricade but a blade of grass i like to end with that song because it's it is ominous but it has so to me anyway it has so much possibility in it it feels to me like really deep not just philosophy philosophy is sometimes held at arm's length this is internal philosophy. This is living our lives. This is some really wonderful poetry that you're doing in this song, The Great Stone Wall. It is on one of your recordings called Collateral Damage, which again comes out a little bit post-911, and it's on a collection that you have. And folks, you find all of those on jimpage.net. We've got all the links on org. 
again, some of the most wonderful poetry. And it's, it's hopeful, but it's hopeful not in a jubilant sense. It's not hooray, hooray, hooray. It's, it's serenity, I think, is a good word that you picked for this one. And it's ominous because it's like Martin Luther King Jr. said, you know, the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, but it's long. And so we need that which sustains us. And certainly the music of Jim Page is one of those forces that help us keep going. You've been doing it for decades now. And I'm thankful that you did. You've got the vision, you've got the stories, and you've got the music to carry us through that. So thanks so much for doing that, Jim. Thanks for joining us for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you, Mark. Very good to talk to you. Again, we end with Jim Page's song, The Great Stone Wall. And we'll see you again next week for Spirit in Action, The Great Stone Wall. If I could face the day the way the sunlight does, if I could rise with the morning mist, then I would know the way that the waterfish swims, I could hold the lessons in my fist. We are dying, say the elders, and we don't even know this is only a temporary peace. We're only waiting for the outcome to show and the endings to be released. Behind the silence of a great stone wall, the howling of a new wilderness, beyond the distance of a great stone wall, it will change, it will change. It wasn't always like this. Been to places where the clocks don't tick And they laugh at the hard straight line Where history looks through a baby's eyes And the light of the future is a good sign Some laws are made of barbed wire And they lean to the privileged few But reality shoots from behind a blade of grass And its aim is true Behind the silence of a great stone wall The howling of a new wilderness Beyond the distance of a great stone wall It will change, it will change It wasn't always like this Well, there's a warfare fought in the bloodstream now and truth is a thing to be praised The lie gets mean and it hides in the marrow And it waits for the stick to be raised And the dry rattled breath of the exit time Is a wake-up call to your ear But the feel of a fist at the end of your arm Is the answer to your tears Behind the silence of a great stone wall the howling of a new wilderness Beyond the distance of a great stone wall It will change, it will change It wasn't always like this
Well, they tell me there's light at the end of the tunnel And sometimes I think I see Like the dissident glint in the eye of a needle And the glitter of a soul set free There's a song that they sing in the worst of times To lift your spirit and the wings and fly Way on the other side of that storm cloud wall Dancing in a clear blue sky Behind the silence of a great stone wall The howling of a new wilderness Beyond the distance of a great stone wall It will change, it will change It wasn't always like this The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.